0: hello welcome to interculture podcast
1: welcome back as usual we're doing something a little different today we're going to try out looking at Movies from a sort of cultural blending lens. So, doing a little movie review. This might be our first New Year episode. The first episode after the New Year. So, we'll say a very happy New Year to everyone.
0: Yeah, happy New Year, everyone.
1: Except for those of you who have not, don't celebrate New Year until next month. (laughs) I'll say it early. And I hope that you're sticking to your resolutions, which I have not even given any thought to that at all. So,
0: <laughs> I haven't either. Do you think it's a necessity or?
1: Not a necessity, but I kind of like the idea of thinking about being able to look back at the beginning of the year and think about it, you know, and what's, what's happened since then. Like have a clear memory in my mind about where I was and where I wanted to go. I kind of like that.
0: Uh, I see. Yeah, I was kind of hooked up with the flow. I guess I didn't have time to think. But thank you for reminding me that. I'm gonna <laughs> after this. I'm gonna like sit down and sit down in a dark room, and then I'm gonna light a light, light a candle. candle. Yeah.
1: Wow, that sounds very intense.
0: I'm gonna spend like the next twenty four hours from me and myself.
1: You know what that in is my so mind. Fair. <laughs> that is self-care. Very important.
0: It's going to be a long list.
1: But That's okay. You know, take all the time you need. It's no your way. life. YOLO. <laughs> so the film we're talking about today is Green Book. I don't know yeah, if we mentioned that yet. Which I love. I have some conflicted feelings about it, but overall I think it was a very sweet film.
0: Exactly. Very warm and sweet. and Yeah. So address the problems.
1: It did go a lot of places that I think have that aren't always touched on. I mean, there's starting to be now more regarding in how individuals deal with racism themselves. So Green Book is a 2018 film distributed by Universal Pictures, directed by Peter Farley, who actually used to do some really weird comedies like like slapstick comedies prior to doing this like he'd never done a dramatic movie before hmm. he did like dumb and dumber and um kingpin like really goofy comedies ridiculous ones um so this was very a very weird departure for him but he did well i think he did really well it was wrote by nick Valonga, which is the son of one of the protagonists tony Valonga. Brian Hayes Curry, and Peter Farley was also a writer. Budget for the movie was $20 million. $20 million? Yes. The biggest budget Peter Farley's ever had for a film before. The name of the movie is named after the Negro Motorist Green Book by New York City mailman Victor Hugo Green, which sounds very odd to modern ears, but it was Mm a an annual booklet that described places on the road road touring black people could stay at or could eat at or get their car repaired at that were friendly to them okay published wow. from 1936 to 1966 well
0: wow. yeah pretty crazy it's like a necessity of of the era
1: it's absolutely insane that that existed that that was but, yeah, necessary I mean, it's... <laughs> It's just and it's wild. Really sad
0: that they had someone had someone had to write a book a book about it, but
1: I mean, I'm glad he did.
0: Yeah, it's also, yeah,
1: yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about now. Like, it's not safe on the road, you have to know where to go where you're not gonna get,
0: yeah, especially potentially
1: the... murdered, <laughs> especially
0: in the 60s. Yes, this movie was like on um, like 60s, right? I guess,
1: yes, 1962 yeah. is the oh, uh, okay. time frame so this movie won several awards three academy awards best picture best original screenplay and best supporting actor for Mahershala ali and it won the golden globe for best picture
2: Whoa.
1: it also had a few other a couple other smaller awards and several nominations but how would you uh how would you sum up like a quick synopsis of uh, this movie
0: well, it starts in New York and there's this a uh, bouncer of a really well known club at the time.
1: Yeah, the Copa. <laughs>
0: yeah. And Very
1: well known club.
0: He and well known artist, piano artist, they go on a, a road trip together because he has like uh numerous of concerts around the South States. While they were on the road, they like develop a friendship and
1: And they form like an understanding of each other. I yeah,
0: they form an understanding each other. At first, they seem like, even though they like grew up in the same country, but they are kind of like two strangers because they like at the city are different.
1: That sh- like shaped and impacted them. Yeah. Yes, I should talk about the controversy surrounding um, Donald Shirley's family uh, not being involved in the making of this film because while I find the film really cute mm-hmm. and liked it a lot. And I actually teared up a little bit <laughs> during the movie. You did? Uh, I did. It's kind of a shame that this movie did not involve the family of Donald Shirley. So they actually found out about this film like after it was already produced. It hadn't gone out yet. So let me just get into like who Donald Shirley is. So he's, sure. uh, by the way, I call him Donald Shirley and not Don because it was actually the decision of his record company to go by oh, Don and, and he did he's... not prefer that.
0: Does he also have a doctorate? Yes, he does. Right?
1: Yeah. He has a doctorate not only in music, he also psychology.
0: Yeah. And, uh...
1: and he, sp- he spoke eight languages. <laughs>
0: including italian
1: <laughs> including italian which we'll get to that part in the film
0: right i had no idea about him until i watched this movie i never
1: well i think most I never people heard hadn't heard before. of him
0: he's a he's a genius at his time
1: <laughs> for sure he was donald walbridge shirley was born january 29th 1927 uh, and was an american classical and jazz pianist and composer He was also a painter as well. Right. He recorded many albums for Cadence Records in the 50s and 60s. And he had a unique blend of classical, jazz, blues, and spiritual elements in his music. So he had three brothers, actually, which they do not discuss in the film.
0: That's also, yeah, I mean, I would want to see his family too.
1: So... Because... Maharshala Ali like was told by the production of this movie that there was not very much information about his personal life and who he was, and that actually was not true because he had three brothers and like their children, and that he was close to. They should have absolutely been consulted for this movie.
0: Yeah, they pictured him as like some sort of a lone lone person? He
1: is portrayed in the film as a loner.
0: The, the thing is, we see the family side famous side of the other guy. Yes. In the movie, you know? Like... And
1: actually, some of the relatives of Tony Vallelonga are in the movie as actors.
2: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: So it's kind of a slap in the face to not even consult the <laughs> the other main character in this film. his The star, kind of. Like, yeah, I mean... His family, and they have Tony's family in the movie. It's kind of crazy.
0: I think they tried to show the audience from like the other guy's eyes.
1: Yeah, definitely. Which I don't think there is anything wrong with that. Yeah,
0: there's nothing wrong. It's just, I don't know. It's just
1: the disrespect uh, to the family.
0: It sounds like he needed to be heard more, like he needed to be.
1: Yes, he absolutely did. His family, when they came out, when the movie came out, they called it, like, a symphony of lies.
0: Symphony of lies?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. So, actually, there apparently is going to be a documentary about him from a man who be. lived in the same building as him and filmed him it should, quite a definitely bit. Definitely should be, yeah. His name is Joseph Astor, and they use some of his the lines from Shirley in the film without asking him of course but he he was trying to make this documentary before this movie came out and hopefully we're going to have more information about Donald Shirley seeing that footage which I watched the trailer for it and it seems like very personal the way he's talking to the filmmaker Astor and mm-hmm. you can see that side of him which is just not there in the movie yeah. Which I want to say that Mahershala Ali did an amazing job in this film. He's such a talented actor. And he has talked about, in interviews, I went with what I had of him. And I tried to make him a real person and a fleshed out character. But I didn't, I didn't know that I could have these other resources about who he was as a person. Mm-hmm. And he says, I, I did that character... And that isn't really him, but I tried my best to make him a real person. And I think he did, and did it so beautifully. And he's, I'm just obsessed with him. He's such a good actor. (laughs) I love him. He was in Moonlight. He won an Academy Award for that as well as this film. Like, he's just phenomenal. So he actually contacted the family after the the film came out and apologized to them. That's
0: really nice of him.
1: Exactly. He apologized to both the brother and his nephew who both spoke out about this and said, I'm so sorry if I offended you in any way by doing this film. And I thought that was like, that was really good of him. And I I appreciated that. But the problem with this film, I think is the fact that Nick, Vallalonga wanted to tell the story about his dad, make it kind of sweet and, you know, this heartwarming tale about overcoming racism. I actually, I have his quote from when he won, when they won best screenplay. Mm-hmm. He says, this is a story of the trip that Don Shirley took in the pre-civil rights era of the 1960s. John Shirley was a great man and underappreciated genius who couldn't play the music he wanted to play simply because of the color of his skin. Yet he went on to create his own music that still resonates to this day. This story when I heard it gave me hope and I wanted to share this hope with you because we are still living in divided times and that's what this movie is for. It's for everybody. If they can find common ground here, we all can. And I think that's a nice sentiment. But in trying to, like, say the story he wanted to say, he actually ended up erasing some of Donald Shirley. Donald Shirley wasn't a loner. He, well, towards the end of his life, he was more reclusive, according to that uh, filmmaker. But he was very involved in his, in his brother's family life. And it didn't reflect who he truly was. And he was also involved in... um like, several of the civil rights movements. Like, he wasn't so removed from black people's issues as the film would show. But I think before I get into more of this stuff, I think we should just start uh, diving into some clips of this.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: So the film opens in New York City, 1962, at the Copabana, famous nightclub, where you see... Uh, Vigo Mortensen portray, I don't know what he is, a bouncer, I guess, in the movie. And you, the film establishes really early on that he's a tough Italian guy. Yeah. He's not afraid to use violence to maintain order and decency.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Then the film shows his family living in the Bronx. Uh, he has two kids and he's married which I was shocked at I, when I, after watching the opening act. He's a pretty uh, violent guy, so it was surprising. And then, yeah, the hot dog eating contest <laughs> in the diner. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> so we haven't discussed Vigo Mortensen yet, mm-hmm. and he gained 45 pounds for this role. Wow. By choice. Actually, Peter Farley told him, you don't have to do that. And he, and he said, no, I need to do that for this mm-hmm. role. Which I think is crazy.
0: They also have, like, money shoes.
1: Right, yes. He takes bets, and then he, you later see him go to a pawn shop.
0: So he also has the pride, and then he yeah. doesn't, like, take every job.
1: He's a, a New York Italian, man. <laughs> yeah. To a T. In the hot dog scene, he, Vigo Mortensen, actually ate 15 hot dogs in a row. No but way, really? That is 100% true. I can't even believe... And apparently, I can't even eat one. I know. It's disgusting to me. I don't like hot dogs. They apparently gave him a puke bucket and he didn't use it. He's like, it's better just eat it. Just get it done.
0: He's a very dedicated actor.
1: Some would say dedicated, some would say crazy, but yeah. He does really, really well in the scene, so I'll give him credit. Well, in the whole movie, he does amazing. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part about that scene is when he comes home to his wife. Well, he goes in and she's like, where were you? He said, oh, so-and-so said they could eat more hot dogs for me and they, they bet me 50 bucks and the bastard ate 20 for hot dogs, and she starts to freak out because rents do. She goes, Are you kidding? You lost $50? Then he goes, I 26.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that scene made me laugh. But yeah, he's he's got a big appetite. That's one of the big character points for him. Then what happens is he needs a job for a couple of months because right. the copa is closing down for repairs. So he's looking around. Some guy tells him, hey, there's a doctor looking for a driver. And he goes to this interview. The interview happens to be above Carnegie Hall. Right. And when he walks in, he meets Donald Shirley, who is absolutely not who I thought he was going to be like going into this movie. Mm-hmm. They have him sit. On this regular chair in yeah. front of a throne in this majestic right. Carnegie Hall apartment. <laughs> Which I've seen real pictures of his apartment. It is exactly like this.
3: Mr. Valentine. Sorry to keep you waiting. I'm Dr. Donald Trump. Tony. Yes, please sit down. Some place you got here <laughs> are Them horns, real hmm. elephant tusks, yes. How about that? That a molar. A what? A molar, a, a shark tooth, a tiger's maybe. It was a gift. I thought uh, I thought I was going to an office. They said a doctor needed a driver. That's all they told you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. Have you ever driven professionally before?
2: Yeah.
3: Sanitation, garbage trucks. Plus, I drive my boss home at night. But I could drive anything. Limos, tow trucks, snow plows, whatever. I see. What other experience do you have? I worked a lot of joints. Wagon wheel, peppermint lounge, copa. In what capacity? What do you mean? What did you do there? Uh, public relations. Well, first of all, Tony, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I mean, like, songs. Yes, and I'm about to embark on a concert tour, the majority of which will be down south. Atlantic City? No, the deep south. First, we're starting in the Midwest and then we're taking a hard left. Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, and on down through the Delta. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? No, I mean, no, no. But just the other day, me and a wife had a couple of colored guys over at the house for drinks.
1: This is established in a scene earlier where two black plumbers come to work on their kitchen.
0: Yeah, and he lies about that.
1: Yes. But in the scene, his wife offers them some lemonade, they mm-hmm. drink it, and he throws the, the glasses they used in the trash afterwards.
0: Yeah, and then his wife realizes that and then he, she, she feels. She feels sorry. She feels really sorry.
1: Yeah, so we know he is racist. He's a racist guy. Yeah, he's a racist guy. But he is looking at this job opportunity. It's good money Mm -hmm. for him, which they need. So he's prepared to um, take that on, even though he doesn't even want to have glasses that have been touched by a a black person. Yeah, right. Which is, Yeah.
3: Which is insane. Yeah. I had my record label ask around town to find me the right man. Your name came up more than once. You've impressed several people with your innate ability to handle trouble. And that is why I called and inquired about your availability.
1: In this scene also, Donald Shirley comes out in an African robe which he sometimes wears. Yes. And actually, Donald Shirley was from, his parents were from Jamaica. But he he grew up from a very affluent uh, black family in Florida. And he's also, he's got a bit of a stiff upper lip, as they would say in the UK. He's very uh, no-nonsense, precise talker, no bullshit. And when I was first watching the character, I was like, oh my god, this guy's insufferable. <laughs> He's so, I don't know. He comes off very pretentious. Which, I don't know... I Maybe the real Donald Shirley was a little bit pretentious as well.
0: I mean, Just, he has a certain amount of education. So, of course, it's like normal. He's not going to talk in a suit language.
1: It's more than education. He's in the high cultural arts, right? He's...
0: Also there's that too, yes.
1: He's Mm -hmm. trained in classical music and he's in this world of high society, which is really very far away from where Tony's coming from. Yeah. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this before. Tony Lip, his nickname, Mm -hmm. he actually... He was a driver and working at nightclubs, but he went on to be an actor... Did you know that? No, he really? is uh, Carmine in The Sopranos, the Manhattan boss. I think
0: I haven't watched I haven't watched The Sopranos that long.
1: Sopranos great show. He's a good act. He was a good actor. Oh yeah, but it's pretty funny, and I guess there's some nepotism there. His sons in the movie industry as well. But <laughs> it's so odd to see this. I don't blue collar italian man who used to work for the sanitation department he became a very (laughs) successful actor i would say you're on the sopranos one of the most highly acclaimed tv series of all time right so interesting where he where he landed after doing this but anyway what happens is he ends up taking this gig
0: look how bulky and how thick he's his neck is, I mean, you can see that he, he, gains a lot, he gained a lot of weight.
1: He looks the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> for sure. In this movie. <laughs> he takes the uh, job. He turns down another job he's offered. Job, quote unquote. With these gangsters. Italian gangsters. They want oh, him drink, to... Yes. Mm-hmm. They want him to go work for them. Because they heard how he beat up uh, that guy at the club the other mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And they they were impressed but he says no i got another job lined up and
0: i mean by looking at how he lied about <laughs> those like two plumbers i wouldn't say he's like honest but yes he has, he has some decency
1: he's a family man at heart i don't think he's i don't know i maybe because i haven't experienced a lot of racism in my life it was easy for me to like him um because he does really love his wife he is like uh-huh. a, he has a good heart deep down but yeah he's very prejudiced and i think in this scene we just watched he calls um he uses a racial slur about an asian man and it's so it, later he's talking about irish people like he's definitely <laughs> has a lot of prejudices um but i still i mean you can't help but like him because he's a sweet guy, actually, even though he's a violent douche guy sometimes. Uh-huh. But anyway, he goes on the road with uh, with Donald. I'm sure you enjoyed the car that they used. It's <laughs> yeah. a 1962 Cadillac. It's very beautiful.
2: Uh-huh.
1: They get on the road. The record label guy gives them gives them the green book, which. We all know is the title of the movie to tell him this is going to tell you where to stop on the way. And what's interesting in that part, when the record executives talking to him, he calls him his name incorrectly. He mispronounces it and kind of he's being kind of flipping about it and ass basically to, <laughs> to him. Because he's a high and mighty guy. But I think that the whole mispronunciation thing is interesting will come up later in the film. So they've started on the road, Mm -hmm. and then they get to this diner where they, they first have their real meaty discussion, I guess.
3: I'm just saying you have a marvelous way with words when describing food. Salty. So vivid one can almost taste it. Hey, I'm just saying it's salty. And salt's cheating. Any cook can make things salty. To make it taste good without the salt, we'll just see how the flavors. That's the trick. I mean, take the basic ingredients. We should really get going soon if we expect to get to Pittsburgh by dinner. Hey, when I was in the army, I know a guy from Pittsburgh. Except he called it Pittsburgh, And he said all the women there had huge tits. That's absurd. How would women in Pittsburgh have larger breasts than, say, women in New York? Guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> hey, you know, when you first hired me, my wife went out and bought one of your records. You the one about the orphans? Orphans? Yeah. Cover had a bunch of kids sit around a campfire? Orpheus. Yeah. Orpheus in the Underworld. It's based on a French opera. And those weren't children on the cover those were demons in the bowels of hell oh shit must have been naughty kids <laughs>
0: <laughs> he doesn't really like the conversation and it's really sweet that before he before they like goes on the start the road trip dr shirley calls up
1: he asks his wife if it's okay if, if he, it takes like he takes her husband away. you know that's very that's pretty sweet <laughs> And then she listened to his album, which, by the way, they show the cover of that record in the credits of the movie. Mm -hmm. And Donald Shirley actually painted that image of the demons. Oh, yeah. So they're on the way to Pittsburgh. And and... I've
0: been once.
1: (laughs) You don't sound happy about it. On the way, Tony has to go pee and he stops the car to go in the woods and they show him at this point in time, take his, he comes back to the car to grab his wallet while he goes to pee, implying that he thought (laughs) maybe Donald was going to reach for his wallet. I don't know. (laughs) And that's what I thought out of it. And I was like, really this guy is mega wealthy. He <laughs> He's really going to reach into your wallet, your boss. But anyway, Donald comes in to talk to Tony about how he should act in front of these high flutant, high society white people, right? And he tries to tell him how to be and Tony pushes back a little bit.
3: We'll be attending many events before and after the concerts interacting with some of the wealthiest and most highly educated people in the country. It is my feeling that your diction, however charming it may be in the tri-state area, could use some finessing. You mean diction like in more way? Like in the only way the word is ever used? Okay. Your intonation, inflection, your choice of words. Yeah, I got my own problems. Now I gotta worry about what people think about the way I talk? There are simple techniques I can teach you that are quite effective. I can help you. I, I don't need no goddamn help. People do like the way I talk, they can go take a shit. The profanity is another issue. Fanana, but why are you breaking my balls? Because you can do better, Mr. balalonga Which brings me to one more point. As the guest of honor, I will be introduced when entering these intimate events. You will be introduced as well. In my humble opinion, balalonga may be difficult to pronounce, so. I was thinking Valley would be more appropriate. <laughs> Tony Valley. Short and sweet. Uh, nah. They got a problem with Val Longa, they can call me Tony Lip. These are genteel people. Tony the Lip may be a little worldly for them. Well, then it's Tony Val Longa. All these high class people, so much smarter than me, with their intelligence and speaking abilities. You tell me they can't pronounce my name? They don't like it, they can shove it up their ass, I'll just wait out saying. Sound compromise.
1: I actually agreed with Tony in this scene. I thought these guys <laughs> they're trying to be cultured and fancy pantsy, they can't even say an Italian last name. I thought I thought he's right, you know. If they're gonna pretend to be smarter and more well educated, they sh- they can use my name but you could see where there's some tension he's Donald's a little embarrassed by Tony's behavior and he has a lot of critiques of him throughout the film like we see him steal a rock <laughs> from a from a roadside stand that's selling gems and he makes him put it back just little things like that and i apparently according to um donald's nephew he was a mega perfectionist and he would fire you in an instant if you did anything he didn't like or weren't good enough um so that is one character trait that was accurately portrayed in that character
0: mm. well i wouldn't mind that
1: <laughs> oh okay i think he was a little too much of a perfectionist but... yeah
0: he is but i that level of education someone maybe he knows Things better than me, you know. I would like give it a year to listen. So
1: I don't think he can listen though, because he's got a chip on his shoulder about the elites looking down on the working class people like him, Mm -hmm. and he's gonna push back and say, "Oh, you you're gonna treat me like I'm trash because I'm the working class." I mean, he does get taught certain ways of speaking and expressing himself by Donald. Right. So he does get he does get to that point where he is more accepting, but on on its face, someone trying to I don't know, make him more palatable to the elite people, of course he's gonna push back on that and be like, Well fuck you if I'm not good enough for you kind of thing. Which I appreciated. Maybe maybe you are the Donald and I'm the Tony in this (laughs) relationship. I don't think so. (laughs) So his nephew Edwin also talks about him being a teacher and talks about him saying you can do better like that was a a line that he thought actually did represent his uncle. So there are some small peaks in the movie mm-hmm. but uh overall I don't think they captured who he really was but yeah. Then they get to Kentucky and this is a where a no- notorious scene of this movie happens and what's been going on is slowly Tony's realizing that his idea of what a black man is does not match up at all with Donald in any way and they dis- he discovers that Donald has never had fried chicken before in his life mm.
3: I think this is the best Kentucky fried chicken I ever had I to is it down here, right? I don't think I've ever met anyone with your appetite. No, I got the bucket so you could have some. I've never had fried chicken in my life. Who oh, you bullshitting? You people love the fried chicken, the grits and the collard greens. I have do. Negro cooks used to make it all the time when I was in the army. You have a very narrow assessment of me, Tony. Yeah, right? I'm good. No, no, you're not good, you're bad. I'm saying just because other Negroes enjoy certain types of music, it doesn't mean I have to, nor do we all eat the same kind of food. Bro, wait a minute. If you said all guineas like pizza and spaghetti and meatballs, I'm not going to get it salted. You're missing the point. For you to make the assumption that every Negro- Hey, you want some or not? No. Hey, come on. Tell me that don't smell good. It, huh? it smells OK. I prefer not to get grease. On my blanket. Ooh, I'm gonna get grease on my blanket. Come on, have a piece. It ain't gonna kill you. Come on, take it, eat it. No. Take it. I'm throwing it in the back. You, don't you dare. Then you better take it. How do you have plates or utensils? My son, go eat it with your hands. That's how you're supposed to. I can't do that. Eat it. Come on, take it, take it, take it. I got drive. Turn and throw on the wheel. Come on. Take it, take it, take it. Come on, come on. Here you go. Huh? I, I can't do this, Tony. Eat the goddamn thing. Jesus.
1: This is a, an ongoing theme in the movie. Tony cannot get past this point until it all comes to a head later. That Donald is not a stereotype of a black man. He is, he had a different background. He had a very cultural uh, upbringing and. In the movie he doesn't even know he's he doesn't even know who Aretha Franklin is. He doesn't he hasn't heard Little Richard's music and Tony's freaking out cuz he's never had fried chicken saying that's that's your people's food or whatever. And which I think in real life is that's ridiculous. That was definitely not the case. But in the movie it kind of serves to show his His stereotyping being challenged. And he's still pushing it like, no, this is you. He keeps pushing it until it all comes to a head later. And then he finally kind of clicks for him. Yeah. He's like, Oh, actually, you're a person, an individual. You're not just a Mm -hmm. they leave Kentucky and on they're on the road to Raleigh, North Carolina. And they have to stop because there's some kind of trouble with the car. And this is, like, southern plantation area of the United States. They get out next to a field that's being worked on by a bunch of, um, black people are working this field. And I didn't clip it because there's no dialogue or sound or anything, um, so that's why, but, uh, he they donald gets out of the car and he is watching them work in this field and they all kind of stop and see this black man who has is dressed i mean even better than the nicest suit you have i mean he's he clearly is very wealthy and they're all like what the hell look at this guy and he's got a white driver he's a driver (laughs) But this moment actually made me really emotional because of how Donald is looking at them, just looking at their faces and they're looking back at him. And it's just a very poignant moment where he looks at, if my circumstances growing up had been different, how different would my life would be, I feel like is what he's thinking about. Maybe not. But it was just a really... I don't know. It it feel, it felt a little cliche, I guess, but the way it was handled didn't bother me. What'd you think? Yeah, I agree. Okay. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> they end up at this plantation in the South. It's a plantation. That's what it is. And the the guy who owns the place where he's performing, tells them you have to use the outhouse instead of the inside bathroom, even though he's the guest of honor. Fucking hell. And he says, I think I'd rather use the one in my hotel. Thanks. And so they have to leave the event, even though he's not done performing. (laughs) So they have to leave the event because he's like, I'm not going to use your outhouse. Then they have this conversation. Why
3: don't I just pull over and get piss in the woods? Animals go in the woods. It's going to be at least 20 minutes I got to go all the way back to your motel. So let's just get there so I can go back and finish the show. <sighs> See, that's the difference between you and me. I'd have zero problem going in the woods. I'm well aware. What are you sore with me for? I don't make the rules down here. Yeah? No. Then who does? Oh, you saying just because I'm white and they're white? You know, that's a very prejudiced thing. You just said there, a very prejudiced thing. I got more in common with I at Second Avenue Delhi, And I do what these hillbilly pricks down here. Eyes on the road. You always say that when you don't like what I'm saying. Eyes on the road.
1: He is. I've been showing some serious hypocrisy. <laughs> Why are you saying all white people are the same? You've been doing the same thing all day, bro.
3: I don't get it. How does he smile and shake their hands like that? You tried to pull it that out? How shit on me? I pissed right on the living room floor. Don't don't do that.
4: We have many concert dates left. Yeah. So? You realize we're contractually obliged to perform them? Of course I do. You don't play, we don't get paid. What's your point? Ugly circumstances are going to happen again. So control yourself. No much of me, you rat. Dr. Shelley could have stayed up north getting rear end kissed at Park Avenue parties for three times money. But he asked for this.
1: Why? In that that scene, he's talking to the other band members. And actually, this is a point I wanted to bring up. This tour didn't really happen like this in real life. So apparently, Donald Shirley went to historic black colleges in the South. And that is where Tony was his driver in the South. He didn't do these plantation house owner parties no the reality kind of undercuts part of the theme of the movie which is that donald shirley was doing this tour to try to change people's hearts and minds or whatever but i think actually he was going to show black people what they can achieve i think he had a different motivation possibly i'm just speculating because the, in the movie, it's like, I'm doing this because I'm blazing a trail. But I think he, he did that in a different way. Like, he actually went to Selma during the civil rights protest and performed there. And he was involved in civil rights. But this trip down south was to actually motivate and connect with other Black people. But I thought that was important to bring up. I agree. <laughs> But he has his principles. He's like, I'm, I'd rather leave your party than use the non-white bathroom. Oh, yeah. But he still performs there. But we'll see later that he does actually draw a line and say, even though I'm contractually obligated to perform for you, I won't. But we'll get to that point. Next, he is under arrest in Georgia, getting caught at the YMCA in the nude with a white guy, actually. Tony comes to his rescue. Yeah. And and he he kind of- pays them out. He bribes the cops, basically. And what Donald's nephew Edwin says about his sexuality, he was as open about his sexuality as he thought it was anybody else's right to know. If you were to ask him, Dr. Shirley, are you gay? He might answer, why? Are you interested? If the answer was no, then he'd say, well, it's none of your business. Mm -hmm. If you watch some of the clips of him from back in the day, he's a little more flamboyant than uh, Marshall uh, portrays him. I would say, based on my completely, like, stereotype findings, he was definitely gay. But anyway, Tony bribes the cops, they get out of there. Then he's he actually gets a little bit pissed because yeah. he uh, gave money to the guys that were arresting him.
0: Right. But he gets out of there, thanks to his help. That's another thing. He resents for it. Dr. Schroeder thinks it's, it's wrong.
1: But he does later say, you know, I'm sorry I yelled at you that night about it and... Because he does appreciate the fact he was trying to help him, I think, but he he is a very principled guy, and he does not ever he never tries to like, win the approval of the white elite people. Whenever they make a comment about, "You can't be here," he says, "Why? Explain it to me. He does not back down. He does not cower away. He is very confrontational like no you need to say out in words what you mean that racism you need to say it out to my face and I just have massive respect for a person capable of doing that because that is I mean to be able to endure racism and then be in that uncomfortable situation forcing someone to bring to light what is actually going on there I think it just takes balls of steel and I have respect for the character a lot the way that he he never tries to please them and he never goes away quietly Yeah, I like that a lot so what happens they're in Mississippi I think when they get arrested because they are in a sundown town donald was in the car out moving about after the sun went down which there were certain places you know during like the civil rights era where black people could not go outside after night they got pulled over and then in the in the movie donald calls a friend to get to get them out of jail after Tony punches the asshole cop in the face. Uh And the friend that Donald calls happens to be Bobby Kennedy, (laughs) who calls the governor and springs them from jail. Right. This scene, this actually did happen. He actually did call Bobby Kennedy. In the movie, it's the governor talking to the head police chief to get them out of jail. But in real life, I think Bobby Kennedy actually himself. called himself. And in in this next scene, we see like Donald getting pissed that you know Tony's violent, reckless behavior got them in jail to begin with, and he had to call in the favor. So
3: Bobby Kennedy just saved our asses. My dog. How great is that? Why well, it's only it's not just, great. Yeah. It's not great at all. It's humiliating. what are you talking about? We were screwed. Now we ain't. And I just put the Attorney General of the United States in an incredibly awkward position. So what? That's what the guy gets paid for. What else he got to do? That man and his brother are trying to change this country. That's what else he got to do. Now he thinks I'm some kind of calling from some backwoods swamp jail, asking to attenuate assault charges. Who does that? Garbage. That's who. You shouldn't have hit him. I didn't like the way he was treating you, making you stand out in the rain like that. Please, you hit him because of what he called you. I've had to endure that kind of talk my entire life. He should be able to take it for at least one night. What, I can't get mad at that stuff he was saying because I ain't black? Christ, I'm blacker than you are. That's Excuse what me. You don't know yes. shit about your own people, what they eat, how they talk, how they live. You don't even know who Little Richard is. Oh, so knowing who Little Richard is makes you blacker than me? Oh, Tony, I wish you could hear yourself sometimes. You wouldn't talk so damn much. Bullshit. I know exactly who I am. I'm the guy who lived in the same neighborhood in the Bronx my entire life, with my mother, my father, my brother, and now my wife and kids. That's it. That's who I am. I'm the asshole who has to hustle every goddamn day to put food on the table. You, Mr. Big Shot, you live on top of a castle, traveling around the world doing concerts for rich people. I live on the streets. You sit on a throne, so yeah. My world is way more blacker than yours. Pull over. What? Pull over. I ain't pulling over. Stop the car, Tony. What? What are you doing?
0: This place gets so emotional. Doc.
3: Doc, what the hell are you doing? Doc, get back in the car. You have to live in a castle, Tony. Alone and rich white people pay me to play piano for them because it makes them feel cultured. But as soon as I step off that stage, I go right back to being just another nigga to them. Because that is their true culture. And I suffer that slight alone because I'm not accepted by my own people because I'm not like them either. So if I'm not black enough, and if I'm not white enough, and if I'm not mad enough, then tell me, Tony, what am I?
0: That's a jerk.
1: I'm glad that he finally verbalizes to him
0: what it means to him, right?
1: Yeah, what it really is, because he's trying to push back on Tony stereotyping him throughout the trip. He's like, no, I don't eat fried chicken. Sorry, you know, and okay, yeah, I don't play jazz music. And he's trying to, to change his mind, but Tony just doesn't hear it and doesn't hear it. And then finally, he gets to this point where, I mean, he's very vulnerable with him and tells him how it is, which is he doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere because everyday people don't see him as part of the elite world and the white elites, they don't really accept him. They use him, which is, I think, a really important point that this movie brings up all the time which is historically especially in America black people their art has been used by white elites to show their cultural awareness and to elevate them because they understand other cultures of art and they use them but at the end of the day they still treat them or view them as less than, even while they're listening to their music, buying their paintings, and obviously have huge respect for what they produce, them as a person is still devalued. Exactly. Which is just so disgusting. And it still definitely happens in the fine art world to this day, this usage of races who aren't put on top of this imaginary pyramid, right? People still use people like that in the fine art world for sure. It's still going on. It's still going on with Black artists, Black musicians outside of the fine art world as well. And so I'm just really happy that this film brought that up. In reality, thankfully, Donald Shirley wasn't as alone (laughs) as he's portrayed in this film. Uh, He did have his family who loved him. And so he wasn't completely isolated in reality which is kind of a nice departure from the film I guess but yeah he's he's not only showing tony that he's being a jackass and that he's got it wrong he's also revealing what he experiences on the daily and that's why this is the most pivotal scene in the film exactly so now we get to the final performance which takes place in another um it's an it's in birmingham alabama which i think you know is a very uh it's kind of a hotbed for (laughs) a lot of civil rights issues so they're at another plantation like kind of establishment and when they arrive the host treats uh donald very nicely but then they get there, and his dressing room is a closet, mm-hmm. essentially. And he's like, whatever, I'll take it. And oh, they decide to have dinner before the concert. They go to the restaurant on, at the venue, and Tony is sitting with the other bandmates, and Donald's about to come in. Is
2: Dr. Shirley in his dressing room?
3: Yeah. More like half a broom closet. Tell you. I don't like what's up with
4: that shit. Six years ago, in 1956, Natkin Cole was invited to perform at the Municipal Auditorium here in Birmingham. Mr. Cole was the first Negro asked to play at a white establishment in the city. As soon as he started playing, a group of men attack him for playing white people's music. They pull him off stage and beat him badly. Jesus Christ. You asked me once, why Dr. Shirley does this? I tell you. Because genius is not enough. It takes courage to change people's hearts.
1: So now Donald just walked into the restaurant and he's arguing with the host. Thanks. From afar.
0: Thank you. You can't come in here. That's ridiculous. Come on.
1: So Tony's getting up. He's gonna go have a a chat with the host I understand, but
3: what's going on? This gentleman says that I'm not permitted to dine here. No, you don't understand. He's playing tonight. He's the main event. I'm sorry. It is the policy of the restaurants. Everything all right? Uh, no, it's not all right. This guy's saying Dr. Shirley can't eat here. Oh, well, I apologize, but these are long-standing traditions, club rules. I'm sure you understand. No, I do not understand. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Are you telling me the Bozos and his band and all these people who came here to see him play, they can eat here? But the start of the show, the, the parking spot of honor, he can't? I'm afraid not. Well, he's gotta eat. I mean, he's gotta have dinner. Okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't we bring something to his dressing room, huh? John Sherman, man, you? No. I'm not eating in that storage room. Okay. Uh well if you prefer. There's a very popular establishment right down the road, the orange bird, they'd be happy to feed you. <laughs> Dak. Come <here>. Just one second. Well, maybe the other place yeah. is better anyway. I mean, the dinner rolls here like rocks. You just go over and go over and come back. You sick of this, you know?
1: Yeah.
3: It's the last show. So the bottom of knife. Let's just get it over with and we can go home and get away from me, Spreece. Huh? Ah, there you go. The fish is wonderful tonight. Either I eat in this room or I'm not performing tonight.
1: So I didn't clip the next scene but they end up going to the orange bird which was recommended to them by that very nice man in the scene
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> they go in it's a establishment for with i would say 95% black people inside and everyone is staring at donald when they when he walks in Mm-hmm. because he's very nice he has a he has a tux on actually not a suit a tux they're all staring at him they start talking to the bartender tony tells her oh, he's the best pianist in the world and she says why don't you prove it
0: well i really wonder what would happen if if that guy that like hotel manager would explain the real reason why he's not playing that night to like to four hundred guests, what would be their expectation? What what would be their reaction? I really wonder.
1: I think some people would. Most people probably would understand where he's coming from, and then I think there would the be,
0: white guys come. Where the white yeah, guys come
1: they from? would agree with him. Don't you think most of them would?
0: <laughs> probably.
1: There are some good white guys that you see sprinkled in for instance when they are in the jail there's the young white cop who convinces the police chief hey actually he does have a right to a phone call even though he's black and then another time we see a white cop uh pull them over to tell them they have a flat tire and then he helps them change it and everything Uh one in every three white guys is not a piece of shit (laughs) basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know I think the people at the restaurant would probably mostly in Birmingham Alabama 1962 most of them would say oh we get it that's yeah, we
0: get it we don't you don't ask for refunds
1: <laughs> they might ask for a refund <laughs> they would probably agree that oh these guys are unreliable
0: they would like accept the blame on him like blame on the other. Ad- yeah the they would
1: I think they would
0: not a long, long time ago. Just fifty years ago. <laughs> yeah.
1: Donald Shirley just died in two thousand thirteen, so it wasn't that long ago. Everyone actually, Tony died in two thousand thirteen too, right around the same time as him. Oh, really? Yeah. According to Tony's son, they were still friends up to the end, but that's oh. to be disputed. Oh. So yeah, they get to the orange bird. The bartender dares him to play the piano, and. He starts playing an extremely complicated piece by Chopin called Winter Winds. It's one of the most complicated pieces to play.
0: Do you know this? Did this happen in real life?
1: I, I don't think no. so, no. So after he plays that piece, then the band that was gonna play at the bar comes up and joins him, and he starts playing jazz mm-hmm. music. hmm. I think in real life this wouldn't have happened because... He has no idea? No. jazz is
0: kind of improvised music, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And he played jazz music. I just am saying that I don't think he would have fit in magically with the band like that because he preferred classical music. He always preferred that and was Mm. forced by the record label to walk away from classical music because they said... And he mentions this in the film as well, that white people aren't going to accept a black man playing white people's music, quote unquote. And that is how he establishes his own style of music, which is kind of a mixture. Mm -hmm. But he did not like jazz that much and he actually was pretty critical of jazz musicians, which they talk about that, he talks about that in the film as well. And apparently it was a mutual dislike because some um, top jazz critics said that he wasn't the best jazz pianist and that he he was much better when he was doing his own style or doing classical music which is yeah, what he preferred is, to do that so is, yeah
0: that is ex- acceptable
1: so it makes sense but i'm just saying the the realism of him suddenly joining in with this jazz band mm-hmm. and playing mm-hmm. perfectly i don't in that style i don't know if that would have happened but maybe but this did happen to donald shirley on tour before a couple of times where he went against the record label contract he refused to play where they wouldn't serve him Hmm. and he did it a couple of times even though he was contractually obligated to play he still walked away and i think that in real life too He was really principled and firm in his beliefs and didn't compromise for anyone. The uh, documentarian Joseph Astor talks about how at the end of his life, he became more reclusive because he was feeling tired. He was feeling tired of making these stands and trying to fight for, for being able to be the performer that he wanted to be his whole life. But it's a very touching scene in the movie. You see him bonding with everyday Black workers, Black people, through jazz music and having a great time, and Tony seeing that as well. He played one of the most challenging piano pieces of all time for free to Black people in Birmingham, and that was kind of (laughs) cool. Then the movie comes to an end by them, of course, making it home in time for Christmas Eve with the fam and tony invites him in and he's reluctant but he eventually comes back just to meet the family right you probably got a little misty eyed when you watch it because it's just really sweet to see the big italian family that was clearly showing signs of being racist just suddenly seeing the way tony has embraced him and Mm -hmm. his wife has embraced him and he's just accepted into the fam and it's a very heartwarming end of the movie. This is a Christmas movie, no
0: <laughs> yeah, it's basically a Christmas movie, yeah
1: what's your wrap up, your thoughts on this film, the history of it?
0: Surprised that this these things happen like not long ago, I still like see some of these are coming back in today's politics, so I think I'm kind of glad that we are like addressing this another thing I will. I would say, the costumes, the this, the scenes, and materials that they used in the, in the movie, it seems like pretty accurate. And uh, I think like at the end of the day, the the message they was that they, they were like trying to give, I think it's well received. I would say like this movie is like one of my favorites of all time. If I were to make a list of, I don't know, ten or twenty, it would be definitely my list.
1: I enjoyed it a lot too. Yeah. And I didn't mention this before, but this movie is just shot beautifully. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. Exactly. I thought, yeah, they did an accurate representation of the time from what I, I mean. I wasn't there, but it does look like it. And it is a good reminder that it wasn't so long ago.
0: The thing is, if you don't see these kind of movies in the 90s or like early 2000s, not like this, maybe there is, but I. I don't remember watching it. I don't, I don't remember seeing it. I like seeing the stereotypes of being in every movie, in almost every movie, like this white, big, handsome male, the main superhero.
1: Well, one the of the, time and then... the critiques of this movie is that it plays into the white savior complex that a lot of movies have. Mm. But I would push back on that because. I wouldn't
0: say savior.
1: Because usually in those types of movies, it's the white person that's the refined one or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this turned it on its head, yeah, in an interesting way. And I don't think I don't I think they are shown to both have benefited, which is yeah, it's, che- it's a cheesy movie, of course, but they both benefited and learned from each other each other mm. as time goes on. Mm-hmm. We get a little better at showing realism as opposed to making something really cringe-inducing, yeah. like the white savior thing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, why didn't they make this movie in the nineteen eighty-eight?
1: Attitudes are changing. I think that's yeah, why
0: there are some reaction waves of reaction, of people's mind. Okay, we need to step up, and make movies to address this more, especially after what happened in the elections. You know. It's important.
1: I thought what it did well is portraying the realism of how hard it is to change people's perspective in that way Mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to reach them. Because to me, that's what I'm watching in the movie is Donald over and over again, trying to make this point. I am my own person. I'm not a stereotype of a black man. I'm a real person. And he keeps saying it over and over again. And Tony's ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it until finally they reach that point. They became close and he's screaming at him this very vulnerable point of what his life is. And finally, that's when he gets it. After like an hour of him, you know, being ignoring everything i thought that was real it's so annoying the the black people keep having to tell our society i've been experiencing racism i've been experiencing marginalization police brutality they keep saying this is happening this is real they keep saying over and over and over again and it keeps and it's taken us decades to acknowledge it and finally the thing that breaks people's like fake idea of what the American experience is, is like this raw and visceral personal vulnerability. And that's when white people start to see black people as human beings with their own experience that is very different. And we just haven't been able to acknowledge how different it was because we want to believe that everything is rosy or whatever. But I think it's like it was such to me, a clear reflection of like, how black people in this country are just like saying over and over again so many times and it keeps getting ignored until it can't be ignored. I appreciate that scene in the rain and that that, the realism of that so much from this movie that I think it does subvert the the white savior cliche. I do. I I feel that, but I understand people's critique for why it might be that way.
0: Yeah, I would I would say to that, but it's still the roles are here are switched, so
1: <laughs> it is kind of like driving Miss Daisy. Did you ever watch that? No. Or it's like the highfalutin uh lady who's Jewish and then her son hires a a black driver for her when she loses her license. Mm. And He doesn't know a lot and she's like a teacher and she's teaching him how to read and stuff. And it's all very, I don't know, cringy. Is it an old movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really cringy. But like I said, it was one of the stepping stones to getting to a less cringy point, basically, (laughs) in filmmaking about race issues. Yeah. I also think this movie is great because it is bringing Donald Shirley back into the public eye, which was largely forgotten. And I'm hoping to see Joseph Astor's documentary very soon, Knock on Wood, that he finishes it.
0: Hope to see that soon. Is that it? Hope to see that soon.
1: No, I I think that's it. I think that we're reaching, that's the end. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, as always, write to us, let us know your ideas, or if you want to recommend a movie for us to review next time.
0: Yeah, we'd like to hear your feedback.
1: We will see you next week.
0: See you next week.
1: Email us at interculturepodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media at interculturepod.